This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on a Friday afternoon. Uh, look, I promise we have some lighter stuff to get to later in this hour, but uh, we, we will talk a little bit more about this really heartbreaking story out of B.C. because it is important. Our number here, 403-974-TALK. That's 974-8255. And don't forget as well, we got the Friday free-for-all coming up with Angela Cocott and Gord Gillies after 3 o'clock as well. An opportunity with Angela. I don't know, is it the first time Angela's had a, a crack at this? We got Bruce, then Danielle, and then uh, if no winner... And either of those shows, uh, it's uh, Angela's turn. So I think it means it's up to $970 in the News Talk 770 tax break. So your opportunity to win that uh, later on today. I'll be listening for your name. Call within seven minutes. And boom, Bob's your uncle. There you go. Uh, Okay. Again, 403-974-TALK. Got a lot of texts coming in. Uh, Got some callers on hold. Want to talk about this story. But let me just reset it for you. In case you missed the conversation earlier, here's the story this week. Uh, from Romina Dea with Global BC. Frightened and confused, this nine-year-old refuses to leave the only home he's ever known. Make sure you use your words your words can be powerful. More crushing than everybody will ever know. When you see a child that all he knows is the house that he was brought up in for almost nine years, being taken away. The foster dad, who we will call John, in order to protect the child's identity, and his wife had cared for the little boy since he was seven months old. But in December, the Ministry of Children and Family Development decided it was time he went back to live with his Aboriginal birth mom and biological sister, who was also raised in foster care. If you love me, you leave me where I am. I do love you. I have to leave me where I am. Ultimately, the child was persuaded to go with his birth mom after he was reassured he could keep in touch with his foster parents. Weeks later, John received this alarming email, help. And when I tried to contact back, there was no answer. Um, I was um, forced at that particular time to call 911. He had, in his message, said, I'm home alone and he's underage. That should never happen. After that incident, communication was severed. The foster parents say they haven't spoken to the little boy in more than six weeks, adding that it's not right because social workers promised him two phone calls a week. In cases where foster parents don't feel like they're heard by the ministry, there is protocols that they can go through and people that they can talk to to get further information within the system. I know you've spent a long time here. It's time for you to go with mommy. You're going to be okay, son. Nobody's going to hurt you. The system failed this time, says John and his wife, who have fostered about 50 children. The majority transitioned back to their birth families. In their opinion, government policy trumped the emotional needs of a vulnerable child who just wasn't ready. Oh, Daddy loves you. Be strong. Ramina Dea, Global News. All right, well, what can you say about that? It's just incredibly heart-wrenching. I get that there's no easy answer there. It's not as simple to say, okay, it's past a certain point. This is now where the kid lives. And that's not even necessarily what the foster family was looking for. 
just how this was handled. No consideration of what the kid's going through in this bond that's established. That's what's so disturbing. Okay, so a lot of texts coming in. I want to read some of those. Uh, but let's go to the phones here as well. 403-974-TALK. Uh, Derek, go ahead. Hi, how are you today? Good, thanks. Good. Um, I absolutely think that is just disgusting. Taking a nine-year-old away from his home, living there for nine years, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I think the system, again, like you said, there's no easy answer. There's no, you know, oh, he's lived here for two years, let's just leave him here. That's, that's not the right answer. But living there for nine years and then just saying, oh, you know what, now you live somewhere else. I think that's just stupid. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, then maybe don't leave the kid there for nine years. Move, you know, move him after a couple of years. I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's just, that's just awful. And just, you, you got to recognize, I mean, the kid's been there since he was seven months old. That's all he knows. He calls them mom and dad. You take any kid out of any home, I mean, it's just, it's just going to be a huge blow to them. The kids can't deal with that. Well, that's exactly my point, is that kid now has no concept of true family because he's been ripped out of his true home, essentially his true home. I mean, sure, bringing him back to his birth mother might be great for him, for biological reasons, for, um, for racial reasons, for all sorts of different things. But my concern is not that. It's that... This kid now has no concept of family, no concept of who he's going to call mother, no concept of eternal love. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? I don't know. I agree with you, Derek. It's tough. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, and then the stories we're hearing about what happened after he went back was the birth mother really ready to have him. Why is he being left alone? I mean, nine's young, obviously, but especially given what this kid's gone through. So what the heck is going on? Look, I don't know the issues with the birth mother. I don't know the whole story here, obviously. Seems to me, though, that she needs to have some patience. And maybe this whole relationship needs to be eased into. To say to the family, the foster family, that look, we think the birth mother's ready to raise this child. We realize you've had him his entire life, basically. So we want him to meet his birth mother. We want them to spend some time together. That's gradually going to increase. And when it gets to a point we think he's comfortable, we'll transition him to, to living with her. We won't cut him off from you entirely. We just want to make this transition as easy as him on pos- as possible. Why is that so unreasonable? I, I don't understand that. That's what to me just makes no sense at all. And holy crap, we need people to be foster parents, don't we? You know, putting aside what the kid's gone through, let's think for a moment about what the family's gone through. I wouldn't want to go through that. Right? Holy crap. I couldn't handle that. And if that's what's going to happen, if you agree to step up and be a foster parent, you're going to be put through that? No thanks. Right? Uh, so that w- that's what bothers me too. Because it takes a really, really strong person to be able to do that. I don't think I could. Uh, This text here says, Rob, I've worked in the field of social services for more than 25 years. I can tell you the system is broken. It breaks my heart to hear about this case, but there are many, many just like it. These kids have numerous problems as a result, not the least of which is severe attachment disorder, which has lifelong negative implications. Right? How can we not recognize that? 
why are these other considerations taking priority? It's just it boggles my mind. Another one here from Jeff says, Rob, my parents have been in foster care for over 40 years. In that time, they've adopted 12 children and fostered more than I can remember for both long and short-term periods. Almost all of the foster children that have come through our home have been special needs. The parents have uh, put on seminars and written books about the subject. And one of the most important things they've always maintained is the stability of routine and the importance of slowly introducing change. It's not far-fetched to think that pulling a child after nine years in a home without proper time to transition will have irreparable psychological damage on that poor child. I mean, how can it not? Look, I'm no expert on the system. Frankly, I don't know that I'm an expert on on children necessarily. I've got two kids. I know what a nine-year-old kid is like. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy to imagine how this is going to scar this child. Hopefully now you can start to build a relationship with this person he's being told is mom. That's going to take some time, and that's not going to undo what's gone on here. Though it is pretty sad. Uh, Another text here says, Rob, thank thank you for opening discussion on this topic of attachment and birth parents. We tried to adopt a little girl who was three years old. The system, in our opinion, worked hard but seemed more focused on what was best for the birth mother. Her daughter had been returned... Uh, into her birth mother's care six times. We were well-equipped parents, and the attachment issues that surfaced almost tore our family apart. She was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, which will impact her for the rest of her life. I determined the adoption after her being with us for 10 months because of the emotional impact uh, on our son. We will now carry this trauma with us for the rest of our lives. So sad for all. We need to get better at evaluating impact of children's attachment when we are looking at placements going back and forth. Adverse childhood experiences impact a child's brain development. This is such an important discussion. Thanks for opening the dialogue. Another one here says, Rob, kids are not dolls that you can put on a shelf for a few years, then play house for a while. We want kids to bond. It's normal, emotional, healthy development. Every time we move a child, we've had a huge failure for the child. I think we've failed this kid. I I don't see how you can come to any other conclusion. We failed this kid. That's really sad. Anyway, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. All right, welcome back. Uh, Still a lot of text coming in on this. Uh, This one here says, after a certain period, and especially in this case, the boy should be considered automatically adopted by the foster family if they would allow it. And what I said in response, I'll just read my response because... I I think this is true. Maybe at a certain point, if the birth mother can't get her you-know-what together, the system has to step in and say, you've lost your chance. The child has a family now. You know, I mean, the other side of it is, right? And, And it's like for a lot of people who are adopted, they want to know about their birth parents. Maybe they want to form a relationship with their birth mother. So it's putting a lot on a nine-year-old maybe to have to make that decision. But I think in the here and now, you've got to recognize what's best for the child. Maybe there is still an opportunity at some point to, to know the birth mother and have a relationship with the birth mother. But not this way. You know, to rip the child out of the home. And, and then to cut the child off from the family after... That was the whole reason you convinced him to go, was the promise that he wouldn't lose contact with the people he has come to regard as his mom and dad, the foster family. So, 
I mean, let's not lose sight of that side of the story, right? It's, it's bad enough that it went down this way. But maybe it could have eased the blow on the child to maintain a relationship with the birth family. Right, going back to Ramina Dea's story, the young boy was ultimately persuaded to live with his birth mother after being reassured he could keep in touch with the foster parents. But weeks later, John says he received a worrying email from the child saying, help. I tried to contact back. There was no answer. It's forced at that particular time to call 911. He had in his message said, I am home alone. Right, the boy's nine. That should never happen. So after the incident, communication was severed. The foster parents say they haven't spoken to the boy in six weeks. Although social workers had promised him two phone calls a week. So even on that, something that the system promised would happen didn't happen. So that just compounds the original error, I think. Because maybe that would have helped. I don't know, phone calls would suffice, but I guess it's better than nothing. But right, and, and so many people have made the point today about the importance of uh, transition, not just going just willy-nilly from one to the other, especially in a case like this. So yeah, what do you do? Family takes the boy and he's seven months old. He's nine now. Those are such crucial years in a child's life. Right? It's really sad to think. All right, let's uh, get Kathy in here. Kathy, thanks for calling in. Uh, hi, Rob. I support what you just said before. I've been in custody battle for quite, quite a few years in court. And I know very often we treat the, we put the parents first, not the child. Yeah. Now, the parent can come to the child's life whenever they decide. So whenever is the time to turn that, that child over, it seems to be okay in the system, but should not be. Should be voluntary after that, like that. Nine years old child should have a freedom whenever he wants to go back now that's his that should be his choice well you know how can we ignore what he's going through i think yeah right and that's why we should put him first and just gradually introduce and even if biological parents wouldn't be happy then that's too bad they screwed up in the very first place well they did and i get you know if they're trying to turn their lives around that's great but you're right they shouldn't be selfish you should think, okay, what's best for the child here? And, and to sort of take a step back from what you feel is important to you. It's exactly. Right? The child doesn't have a right. The parent seems to have. And that's what makes me cry. It's just we should not even be talking about it in, 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 you know, in 21st century. We should yeah. figure it out this much better. Yeah, I agree with you, Kathy. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you know, I can just imagine, look. I mean, uh, I got kids. If any of you have kids, you know that bond you have with them. So if you got yourself in a situation where you needed to turn your life around, right, I like to think that that would be priority number one. And to fix that as quickly as possible. That nothing else in the world would matter other than getting your you-know-what together and getting your kids back. So I don't know why it took nine years or eight years. Uh, that's a long time. And so as much as you might have that desire that you want that to happen as soon as possible, you got to recognize the child's needs and you got to recognize the reality of the situation. That child has spent his life with these people. They matter to him. He's got a bond with them. And if you can't recognize that, then I think you're just being selfish. 
And in this instance, I don't see how anybody being selfish is in the best interest of the child. So that's what happened here. So an awful story. And, and so I think this is the importance of, uh, you know, covering these stories because we're not going to get a news release from the you know, Ministry of Social Services to say, hey, everybody, there was this case we really screwed up on, made a bad decision, then compounded it by making another bad decision and breaking a promise made to this kid. So here's a news release telling you all about it. So the parents felt that they had to speak out and they had somewhere to turn and were able to, to bring that story because people need to hear it. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Lauren, welcome to the program. Hey there. Uh, I'm kind of on the, I'm on the other side of this here. I'm, a, I'm actually a birth parent of four, and uh, uh, there's too much of a story to go into, but I ended up with all four of them by myself, and I ended up making a call, and they were, they were put into care. Now, my two youngest ones, because of their age, and they were all in care for at least two years. This is in Alberta, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, once the kids were in care, uh, after two years, the little ones, they all were automatically awarded out of the government. So there was nothing I could do. I couldn't go back and say, oh, I want my kids back. Like I, well, I, I did, and I tried to do what I could to change things in our life. It was, there was no abuse or anything, but right. they, they said that was it. You know, there was no me dragging my kids away from, and, and they had, uh, all four of them basically, for the most part, had, had good, they were raised well. I mean, they're all, they're all early adults now. But it's there was no issues where I had to go, you know, find that they had to be dragged away from these people. They all had good lives. They were they were raised properly, and they they were given more than I could have given them financially, and otherwise as a single parent. And I, but like like I said in Alberta, I guess maybe it's different. But there was no going back once they I once they kind of forced me to sign those papers. They so that was after two years. Sorry, that was after two years. That was after two years, the two the two youngest ones were basically once they once they find that if the kids can't go back to their natural parents, they start looking for a foster care. And when the kids were in like permanent, they, they, it's called permanent guardianship. And then once the permanent guardianship goes through, they they go into an adoption list. And so the two little ones are actually automatically adopted. Wow. So I mean, like I said, they're adults now. I mean, I have I have relationships with all four of them now, and I have two two wonderful grandkids. And but the thing is, I didn't you, you didn't see me after a couple of years going. Well, yeah, I think I got things together and going to their house and dragging dragging my two kids away. It just it yeah. didn't happen. And so I don't know if it's different in BC or if it's like that here in or in Alberta. But uh, there's no going back. So and I, it, it's really sad this happened. And I hope I hope this little this child will be fine. I get I get a funny feeling. In they're, they're, this, this, this poor foster father is eventually here or something. Yeah. All right. Well, Lauren, thanks for sharing that with us. Appreciate it. So well, there you go. So maybe there are instances where at a certain point you, you just you, you don't have that claim anymore. You can't just say, you know, I, yeah, it's taken me 10 years to, to get my act together. But here I am hand my kids over. How can you how can you string a kid along it like that and, and string a family along like that? I mean, even if you make a decision that. You know, every 18 months, we got to move this kid so he doesn't form strong attachments. Well, what kind of upbringing is that for the child either? I mean, kids need those bonds. And they need that stability. So, yeah, I don't know then if the overriding factor here is, you know, cultural and ethnic considerations. Maybe it was. But that should not trump what obviously is, is of the utmost importance to the kid is who he thinks his family is, who he feels attached to, who's raised him. Just having that, that stability and that security 
being able to go to bed every night, knowing that he's being taken care of, right? So that's what's so heartbreaking about this story. So that's, that's an interesting uh, story from Lauren there. Uh, I don't know, maybe even the system views birth mothers and birth fathers differently. I'd be curious to know how, in some cases, that can happen and how we can end up with something like this. Could be differences between Alberta and B.C., although we heard earlier from Kathy, who's been a foster parent right here in Calgary, uh, what Kathy went through with some children that she had for more than two years. Same kind of thing. So, uh, I don't know, raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? And unfortunately, you know, we all we get from the system is uh, we can't speak about specific cases. All right. Listen, uh, when we come back from the 2.30 news here, we're going to get to some other issues. I got a few other stories I want to get to uh, before we're all said and done. We're also going to have a conversation about relationships and intimacy. Seems maybe there's a little less intimacy in relationships today than there was, say, 20 years ago. Uh, Jean Twenge is an author, is the author of this study. We'll hear from her coming up in a few minutes. Uh, this is Afternoons on News Talk 7-7. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.